Open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. That's probably where we'll, we'll probably look at some verses there. John 15. And but uh, some, it's good stuff. Good stuff. We're continuing our study this semester. We're calling it the 412 Christian Life. I taught it a long time ago. And uh, what I've done now this time is every time I'm rewriting each lesson, adding some more things, doing some different things. So it's really a different study than what we used to call, what we call the 412 Christian Life. And uh, so it's going to be fun. If, as we went through it, we, uh, if you see any errors, if you see anything that's wrong, that doesn't, just let me know because we'll take this, retype it because we're going to, we just want to make sure it's right when we use it the next time as well. We're seeing great truths. And, and by the way, just like always, if you've got a question, comment, inputs, just stop me because we, we want to talk about it. Uh, we're looking at this time period called Christian life, and that's the time from the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior until you're with the Lord, either that you die and to be absent from the body's presence of the Lord, or He comes in the clouds and He gets us and we'll be with Him. So we're, we're dividing our study into two big sections. You see, number one, and number one there is the foundations. The foundations. And that's the five areas we talked about. Change, growth, walk, power, and results. We're in number four, which is power. Next week will be results. And so these five things... And we talked about <clears throat> the change that happens when we believe, that how do we grow, the walk of the Christian life that was last week. Here's the power of the Christian life and then the results. And we're seeing those and that's the first five lessons. Then part two is the details. And that's where we're going to look at some things to maybe get more details of some of these things. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 6 and 7. I've been working on chapter 7 today. Uh, I've already got Romans 6. You've got it, in fact. You've got it in your notebook. You've got lessons 4, 5, and 6. I've almost got 7 redone. And, and that, those, those two lessons, 6 and 7, deal with Romans chapter 6, which I think is the key. If I would obey... If I would obey Romans chapter 6, I would be a lot better than I am now after these 50 years. And Romans chapter 6 is the key to the Christian life. It really is. And we're going to talk about that. We'll spend some weeks on that, looking at that. And then we're going to talk about sin and confession, being fruitful, rewards, so many things. And so we've seen in the first three lessons the change, the growth, the walk, the changes that we, we've been placed in Christ and we're a new creation in Christ and we've been born again. Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We talked about our growth, which is time and, and control and the Bible, and then we talked about the walk of the Christian life, walk worthy of our calling, walk of faith, uh, walk in love, light, and wisdom, all those kind of things. Well, tonight, it's the power. And we, you know when you say it and you say the power, sometimes people, let me ask you something. Let me say it this way. When, you, when I say power, what do you think? Hmm? You, what do you say? Holy, okay, you did, that's exactly right. Because if I said, who is the power, you'd say Holy Spirit. But if I say the power, a lot of people don't think, they'll say, oh yeah, the, God's power in us. And they don't think of that as a person. God's power in us is the Holy Spirit who is a person in the same way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So because they did a survey um, uh, in the United States asking people, I think it was 30 years old and under, who is, is the Holy Spirit a person? And about 65% of them said no. And we're talking about Christians. 65%, they did not think the Holy Spirit was a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Just like the Father's a person, the Son's a person, Holy Spirit's a person. Anyway, so that's, that's where we are. So as we think about living out who we are, realize that God is never going to ask us to do something He doesn't give us the power to do. So when we say, He says, well, He wants you to walk worthy of the calling, I want you to live out your Christian life, that means He gives us the power to do that. And the power, of course, is the person of the Holy Spirit. So we want to do that. Let me tell you a story. 
There was a story of this guy who was driving his car and he was going along the highway and the car began to sputter and slow down and actually stopped. And so the person did have a cell phone and he called this repair person that he knew and he said, hey, my car just stopped. It just suddenly stopped. And, he, and the guy said, well, check this. No, it's not to check this. He said, well, let me ask you this. Have you, have you checked your fuel gauge? And do you have gas? And the guy looked at it. He said, no, it's empty. He said, okay, that's your problem. You, you ran out of gas. And the driver said, well, Will it hurt the car to drive it without gas? And, <laughs> and we'd say, we all know you can't drive a car without gas. Well, do you realize you can't live the Christian life unless it's God's power through you? We may think we can, but we can't. It's God's power, the Holy Spirit, through us. And so tonight we're going to talk about the power. I think there's some really, really neat things, and we'll look at it. So let, let's, let's be reminded and let's look at a review. The Christian life is really two things. Number one, it's a worthy walk. It's a worthy walk. That's Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, as the prisoner, you know, exhort you to walk worthy in a manner uh, worthy of your calling. Walk, you know, and that's what we're supposed to do. Live out as a child of God. And we want to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in the world. And just like we saw on Sunday morning when Jesus was talking, he said, you're the light. You're the light of the world. That's who we are. The second thing is we saw, remember, it's a walk of faith, Colossians 2.6. We saw that earlier. It's a walk of faith. And so we talked about this where it says under their described, we saw this, we ended with this last week. It's a worthy walk. It's a walk of faith. We saw that it's, it's new life. It's put off, put on. We saw that it's Holy Spirit and not flesh. We saw that it's light and not darkness. We saw that it's light, love, and wisdom. And we saw that it's good works, walking in good works. So I, I didn't I list them all up here. And you don't have to list them all. You had them uh, in your notes, but that's how we ended it. We said, this is, it's a worthy walk. It's a walk of faith. It's a new life. It's a putting off the old, putting on the new. It's not the flesh, but it's the spirit. It's not darkness, but it's light. It's light and love and wisdom and good works. And all that is how the Bible describes how we live. That's our walk. Well, in this lesson, we have to think about, well, okay, we're supposed to live that way. Well, how are we going to do it? Well, how are we going to bring glory to Jesus Christ? And so, as I said earlier, when God asks us to do something, He gives us the power. So we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And if you're at the top of the next page, let me just remind you of something, which when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says this. Anybody know John 15:5? Okay, that's the start. I'm the vine, you the branches, you abide in me. What does 15:5 says? Uh, I'm the vine. Apart from me, you can do what? You can do nothing. And how about... How about Philippians 4.13? What does it say? I can do what? All things through Christ. Okay, so apart from Him, we can't, we can't do anything. And with Him, we can do all things. Now, uh, you've got to understand that in the flow, in the context, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you can be an Olympic champion and you can high jump 10 feet. You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you can live out the Christian life in God's power. So let me remind you of this, okay? Let me remind you of this. We've seen this drawing, and of course, you know, I majored in art, so it's really a very good drawing. That's the arms. We just put them, I mean, not pretty big. You remember we got a body and what? A soul, a conscience, a flesh. And then when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we were dead, now we're alive. So we've got, we're spirits, we've got a spirit. I sometimes put human spirit just to kind of different. So we're now made alive. And then what? Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. This is what we're like. 
And you remember we said we're a new creation in Christ. We've been placed in Christ, but also the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we've been regenerated, and we're a new creation in Christ. And the Bible says, what, do you not know your body is the temple of the... There he is. So every one of us in this room, God lives inside of us. In fact, Christ lives inside of us. The Father lives inside of us. It is really crowded in there. But the truth is, they're all in us. And, you know, one God in three persons. We'll talk more about that in a second. So the, whole, the, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside. Now, I've said this earlier, that earlier in the study. We don't realize, realize how fortunate we are. Um, we have the complete Bible. If you were Abraham, did you have any Bible? Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. had the first five books. Moses wrote them. That's all. If you lived at the time of Christ, you had what we, they would call the Tanakh, which the law, the Torah, the Nebim, the, the Old Testament. But they didn't have any of these books. If you lived, uh, if you lived in the middle of the first century, you had maybe maybe half of the New Testament. We have every bit of it, all the way up until the Church Age. No believers automatically had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Not permanently. Some people, the Holy Spirit would come upon them for certain things. Kings of Israel, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul for a while and left him. The Holy Spirit come upon, came upon David. There was a guy named Belazel who designed the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit came upon him to, in, in, you know, did that. So, but we're not, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us and then maybe leave. We're, we're the only people that I can see so far in the Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes and never leaves that is a permanent indwelling. So we, we are the people who actually have the completed revelation of God. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we have His Word and we have His power. All at the same time. Just, just amazing. We are, we are so fortunate. You know, we say, well, we got it tough. Well, what if you didn't have the Holy Spirit living in you? Think about trying to keep the Mosaic Law without the Holy Spirit. Think about that. So, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. So let's look at I've got three questions right here. Number one, two, and three. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? So who is he? Number two is, uh, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And then number three is, realize that the Holy Spirit is in believers, the power of the Holy Spirit in believers. We're going to talk about the power itself. That's the three things I want you to see as we think about the Holy Spirit. So the first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? By the way, just answer, who is the Holy Spirit? He's what? He's God. He is the Godhead. The Godhead is made up of the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, one God in three persons. I can't comprehend it. I believe it to be true. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. One God in three persons can't grasp it. They, and the, the, it's not like sometimes he's a father and sometimes he's a son. And sometimes, no, they all three exist at the same time, but there's only one God in three persons. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, he's the Godhead. And, and l listen to this. This is what's, what is amazing. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you. In Genesis chapter, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the first of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. The Holy Spirit was at 
creation, right? Number two, there I've got the Holy Spirit was responsible for the birth of Christ. You could put birth of Christ, you could put conception of Christ, whatever how you want to put it. But how did Mary, because Mary asked the question. The angel Gabriel said, you're going to have a baby and his name's going to be Jesus and he's going to be the king of the king king, and take the throne of his father David and his, his kingdom will be no end. He'll be the Messiah and Savior. And she said, how can this be? What did he say? The Holy, Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. So the Holy Spirit basically was responsible for the conception of Christ or the birth of Christ, however how you want to put it. And then did you know that in Romans chapter 1 verse 2, the Holy Spirit brought about the resurrection of Christ. So you could put the Holy Spirit caused the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ raised himself from the dead. The Bible said, Jesus says, I lay my life down and I take it back up. And the Bible also tells us that the Father raised him from the dead. But the Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 2, that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. He says, uh, did I say Romans 1, 2? Oh, it's 1-4. I'm sorry. I got a mistake. It says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according, resurrection of the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness. Okay? So it's 1-4. I'm sorry. I'm glad we found that. We'll, we'll get it corrected on the next one. Okay. Th- that's a great question. They're not levels in the sense of power, authority, or anything. There are aspects of how they interact. The Father sent the Son. And the Father and the Son sent the Spirit. And so the Son says, I came to do the will of the Father. Now, it's, it's, like, it's, it's weird because it's almost like, okay, the Father told the Son what to do, so the Father must be kind of the boss of the deal. No, they would say, no, the one God and three persons. But the Father has the plan, the Son carried out the plan, the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. So a lot of times people... Uh, let me ask you that question. In the eternal state, who's the king? Jesus. But it actually says in one place that when Jesus becomes the king, he turns it over to the Father. So I, I don't. how does that work? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, so when you start looking at it, how does it really, really fit? And you know, you know who's left out all the time? Holy Spirit's left out all the time. And there's a reason for that. Because the Holy Spirit's role is to proclaim Jesus Christ, not proclaim himself. So when you have people who are always talking about the Holy, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, saying, go ahead, don't be talking about me. My job's not to talk. My job is to proclaim Christ. That's what he said. We're going to see his ministry in just a minute. And so it's a, it, there is no hierarchy in the sense that one is more powerful than the other, but there is there are roles that God has set up for himself, so to speak. I mean, think about in history, it's almost like they're, they're sitting around talking and saying, who would decide to be a person? And Jesus said, I will. <laughs> I mean, you know, because we can't think of it because there wasn't a time because there's no time and they're eternal. So there's not a time that they sit around trying to come up with the plan. It's just always been. I, I mean, I can't grasp it, right? You can't grasp it. I mean, when we say, you know, God knows what's going to happen tomorrow, it's not because he can look to the future. Everything's already there at one time for him. There is no past, present, and future. He's outside of time. I mean, he deals with us in time, but he's outside of time. It's just beyond our comprehension. So that's a great question. There's, I, so I see that the Father sent the Son, and the Son and the Father sent the Spirit. And the Father came up with the plan, and the Son carried out the plan. You know, Father loved the world that he sent his Son. The Son came, left the glories of heaven, become a person. The Holy Spirit reveals the plan. But 
they're all equal. So, great stuff. All right, so first one is we just see the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is responsible for the, basically the conception of Christ. The Holy Spirit caused the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second thing we want to talk about is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so before salvation, what does the Holy Spirit do before salvation? And then, of course, at salvation... And then after salvation. So we want to take a little bit of time to look at this. Not a lot of details. We could do, I've done a study on the Holy Spirit. We could do weeks on this, but we're just going to touch on this. And let's talk about what is the Holy Spirit's job before salvation. In John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, he convicts the what? The world. The world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of three things. We're going to see in just a second that the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Who is the world? It's the Greek word cosmos. That's the Greek word. We would write K-O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. We get cosmetology from it. Because it means ordered system. And so when you go to a cosmetologist, they want to order up everything. Get you looking good. But anyway, that's cosmos. Cosmos is always the un- believing world. He convicts the what? The world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they have not believed. Righteousness because he goes to be with the Father. And judgment because there's a separation coming. You don't have to write all this down. I just want you to know that he's convicting the world of what? Sin that they have not what? Believed in Christ. Remember, he's not convicting the world that lying is wrong. That's not his conviction. People may say, oh, I think lying's wrong. He's convicting them that they have not believed in Christ. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So understand this. So when you share your faith, what do you tell people? That they need to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life because that's what the Holy Spirit is convicting them of. So when an unbeliever says something like, well, I don't understand this thing about Jonah, say, don't worry about that right now. Let's get back to the issue because the Holy Spirit is not convicting them that, that, a, that a fish swallowed a man. That's not he's, convi- he's convicting them of the fact that they haven't believed in Christ. He's convicting them of the fact that there's a righteousness that people have to have and he convicts them that there's a judgment or separation coming. So when you talk to an unbeliever, you're telling them that they need to believe in Jesus Christ Christ so they can have the righteousness of God and be with him because there's going to be a separation coming and one day people will be with him or separated from him. And that's what the Holy Spirit's convicting people of. And that's why you stay on the issue of the gospel and faith when you share your faith. Because unbelievers 1 Corinthians 2.14, they can't understand the things of God. So if you start getting into all this theology stuff, they don't know what you're talking about. Holy Spirit's not convicting them of dispensationalism or, or the end time events and those I mean he's just not convicting them of that so stay on the issue so for question comment anything just let me know so before salvation he convicts unbelievers that they have not believed in Jesus Christ that's what and that's why you got to stay on that so that's great now what about at salvation at the moment of salvation if that's at the top of the next page I've got some verses in John 3 3 he regenerates he regenerates the unbeliever. We become believers, of course. So he regenerates us. What does regenerate mean? Be born again. You remember this? Remember this? Body, soul, conscience, flesh. And the moment you believe, what happens? You're regenerated. There's the spirit. You're made spiritually alive. That's regeneration. That's what he does. 
you were dead in trespasses and sins, and now you're alive in Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room, you're alive. You were dead. You didn't know it. That's why I th- I've always said this. My fav- one of my favorite movies was The Sixth Sense, right? We talked about this already. The Sixth Sense. That was the little boy who could do what? He could see dead people, but they didn't know they were. The- Every day we see dead people. They're dead people dead in trespasses and sins, and they don't even know they're what? They don't know they're dead. They don't know they're dead. And so he makes us alive. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, the Holy Spirit comes to what? Live in us, but do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So there he is coming to live inside of us. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says he baptizes us, which he means he places us in Christ. So you remember, here we are, and when we trust in Jesus Christ, the body of Christ is called the church, and he places us in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, <clears throat> he gives spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. How many of you in this room have at least one spiritual gift? Every one of you. What if I said, how many of you know what your spiritual gift or gifts are? I would hope everybody would, but a lot of people don't. They go, I don't know. You know how you find out? Get out there and do something. Now, the bottom line is when you start serving, and there may be areas that you have interest in. You may have the gift of teaching. You may have the gift of helps. You may have the gift of administration. You may have the gift of mercy. You may have the gift of giving. When you begin to say, Lord, just use me, I want things will fall into place. And before you know it, you begin to do things, and you'll say, I just love doing this. I love it. Okay, so... That, that's key. And then the last one, Ephesians 4.30, he seals us until the day of redemption, which means he makes us secure. We're secure in Christ and that you can't lose salvation and you're saved forever and you have eternal life and you're a child of God. He seals us. And, and that goes back to that day and time you wrote a letter and you'd put wax on it and you'd put the seal like the king. You'd put his seal on it and nobody was to open that thing. You couldn't open it because the only person that could open it was whoever the king wrote to or, or if it was to the king. And that's called sealed, and he seals us to the day of redemption. So that's what he does at the moment we're saved. And as for every, and there's more. I didn't even put it all. There's just more. And then the third thing is, what about after salvation? Because this is where we are right now. After salvation, and our focus in our study, he could, there's a lot of things that he does on a daily basis, but our focus in this is the Holy Spirit empowers believers. Empowers. He gives us the power, the power to serve. He's right there. And he says, you can do it. <laughs> Did y'all hear him say it? I thought I heard him say it, but he, he says, you can do it. He does. And so he is the strength and the power. And so in this lesson, we're talking about the power. So let's talk about it for a second. And there's two key sections in which he, he, the idea is there, and, and it is Ephesians 5.18. It is called, be filled with the Spirit. And that's where he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But inside of every believer is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, be filled. Now, you know, he uses the analogy, do not be drunk with wine. You can be filled with wine. And what? It causes you to do things. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine, which causes you to do things, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, which causes you to do things. So that's God, the Holy Spirit. And then the other place is Galatians 5, 16, which he actually says, walk in the Spirit. And so for being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is, is um, and that's why walk is so important, uh, is the ways that 
it is described that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit, to be filled in the Spirit. And uh, he actually says that, that when you're being filled with the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. So let's talk about these two things. And I've got a number one, and you can put this down because it goes back to Ephesians 5.18, being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we think about that, I want you to remember something. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I've got it put there, filling deals with being, uh, with our being servants or our being our serve, our serving God. That's what it deals with. It deals with serving and service. Uh, I don't know. I think it probably should say feeling deals with service and the word being probably doesn't need to be in there. So let me... Uh, let me mark that out, Susie, on this one too, so that we can get that changed as well. Filling deals with service. Because it does. Not dealing with salvation. Filling of the Spirit has nothing to do with salvation. Indwelling of the Spirit has something to do with salvation, but not filling of the Spirit. So, filling is. So, let me ask you a question. If you remember the, the lesson that we talked about when we were talking about growing, which was lesson three, uh, we talked about. How does a person grow? How does a believer grow? We said it takes time, and what's the other thing? Maturity. Yeah, but how? How does time and what makes maturity? Uh, uh, how about being controlled? Being controlled. Remember time control in the Bible. That was the three, but I just wanted to put being controlled. So if you want to just put, how does a believer go? It takes time and control. Remember, we said that if you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you're called what? Carnal or fleshly. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you are called spiritual. So you can either be spiritual or fleshly. You can be spiritual or carnal. And, and that's the, the way we are. And to glorify God, we, we can't be carnal. We, we, uh, you know. and, and by the way, the filling of the Spirit, if you go to the top of the next page, the filling of the Spirit is ongoing. It's not a one-time deal. It's ongoing. Now, uh, the Holy Spirit coming to live inside you is a one-time. Being regenerated is a one-time. Getting spiritual gifts is a one-time. All of us, that happens at the moment of salvation. And it's a one-time and it goes on. But the filling of the Spirit is ongoing aspect. And so you can be filled and then you could not be filled. Right? And you know, you, yeah, Doug? The best I can tell from Scripture is the moment you believe, you get your spiritual gifts. Now, if you trust Christ when you're seven years old and you got the gift of teaching, it may be a while before he uses you or matures you up to the point where you can do that or where you get the information. So the best that I can understand is the because the, the, the Bible never says there's believers and they hadn't got their gifts yet. It says that the, that the Holy Spirit at salvation basically gives us spiritual gifts. And, and you may have one gift, you may have more than one gift. Paul had a whole bunch of gifts. I think a lot of people have more than one gift. And, 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 and the, one of the problems that I see in the body of Christ is the old Pareto rule, which is, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of everything. And the problem is, in, in the local church, about 20% of the people do all the ministry. And you got 80% of the people who just come in, sit down, and let them leave. And you say, where's, where's your ministry? And they go, what are you talking about? I came to church. Well, no, you've got gifts. Where are you using them? And that's the truth. Every one of us in this room, if I said to you, where's your ministry? Where are you serving? Let's just say, if this is your local body, then where are you serving in your local body? Where are you using your gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given to you, especially your spiritual gifts, where are you using those in the body of Christ? 
And you could say, well, I'm not. They'll say, well, you better get on the stick. He's got the gift of coughing. No, it, <laughs> Billy's been sick, and I just thank the Lord that he came. Do you have something to, something to drink, or would it help? Okay. Yeah, she's got you. Uh, yeah, that, she gave me one of those on Sunday morning. It didn't help me a bit either. But anyway, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. That was good. Okay, so he, all, all of this is, is it's ongoing. God desires believers now to live it out and to be filled with the Spirit. What, com- what comes out of our lives when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? What is it? What is it called? The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Anybody know them? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But then there's something after that. There are nine of them, and he just listed nine of them. What comes after that? You know what the verse says? Against such there is no law. That means law can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. That's why when you put people under legalism and you say you've got to do this, 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 and this, it can't produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It can't do it. only thing that can produce it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces those things. And that's why he says against us there is no law. Law can't do it. And that's why I've, I've watched in my life uh, Christians who grew up in legalism who are taught that this is how you become spiritual. You don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And that way, that makes you spiritual. No, that's legalism. And actually legalism makes you sin more. And the way you grow is not a set of rules but it's by love, serve one another, using your gifts, talents, and abilities, touching lives for Jesus Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is being empowered. This is what's going to come out. If you see love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and kindness and all that, if you see that coming out of your life, guess what? You're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. But if you remember, it's a little bit, uh, if, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, right, the verses right before these, it tells you what the deeds of the flesh are. And we don't even like to read them, do we? But that's what comes out in our lives, if we're controlled by the flesh. And that's why there's that battle that we talk about. Galatians 5, uh, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, Spirit against the flesh, they're contrary one to another, so that you may not do the things you should. There's a battle inside of every one of us. We're going to talk about it when we get to Romans chapter 6. You decide, you and I decide whether we're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit or we're going to live in the flesh. And this whole thing is you've got the power from God to live in such a way that there's produced in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, all that. That's possible to be produced in our lives, not by us, but by God who lives inside of us, who will bring that out when we live for Him and we, have, we make the choice. So when you're mad, and when you're angry, and when you're sinning, you can say, I'm to blame that I'm this way because I'm choosing to live in the flesh. And how many of you choose to live in the flesh? You'd think I'd be better by now, right? I mean, that's what we all say. And so the first aspect is to be filled with the Spirit. Number two is to walk in the Spirit. That's Galatians 5.16. And walking means to be controlled. Controlled by the Holy Spirit. And we talked about that battle. And if we want our lives to count for Christ, we've got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to be filled by the Spirit. We've got to be controlled by the flesh. Um, we've got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy to say it, right? It's just like I got up last Sunday morning and I said, what are we supposed to do with people who hate us? 
What does it say? Love them. Well, how easy is that? Well, you go to Romans where Paul writes and says, do never return evil with evil, return evil with good. And says, don't ever, don't ever do wrong. You know, if a person does wrong to you, do good to them. Leave vengeance for the Lord. Never return evil with evil. Okay, how easy is that? Not, what about walking in the Spirit? What about being filled with the Spirit? What about living in such a way that it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? What coming out in our lives? Uh, we know a lot of Christians. I mean, I had a professor at seminary that used to say, you know, Christians are supposed to have a lot of joy, and we're supposed to be that way. I wish somebody, I wish somebody would get the word to their faces that we're supposed to have a lot of joy because I think Christians walk around like the whole world is horrible. When we've got the greatest life of all. And we didn't say it was easy life. It's the greatest life. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's a note, walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the battle. You have to live here. And who chooses? We do. We make the choice. Let me ask you something. How do you walk in the Spirit? How are you filled with the Spirit? Well, i got two keys there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, a is you deal with sin. Confess your sin. If you've got sin in your life, are you walking in light or darkness? If you're walking in darkness, can you abide in Him and walk in the light as He is in the light? No, you can't. So if you've got sin in your life, you can't, you can't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't if you've got sin in your life. So what do we do? We confess sin. And I love the verse. Most of you know it. We talk about it all the time. Uh, some of you may not. Uh, there's there's a proverb I forgot to write it down, but it says whoever confesses and forsakes. So it's not that you just tell on yourself and say I'll do it again tomorrow. No, it is yeah, the goal is to not do it again. You've heard me say First John one nine many many times. So most of you know this. I just want to remind you: if third class, if if we confess our sins, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. There's a first class if that says if and it's true. Second class if that says if and it's not true. There's a third class if in Greek that says maybe you will, maybe you won't. This is the third class. If we confess our sins, maybe we will, maybe we won't. We're supposed to. He says if we confess our sins, he is what? And by the way, what does confess mean? Tell on yourself. If we tell on ourselves, God, I lied. I looked at something I wasn't supposed to look at. I said something I wasn't supposed to say. I did this I wasn't supposed to do. We tell on ourselves, if we confess our sins, third class, maybe we will, maybe we won't. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just. He's faithful and righteous to do what? Forgive and to cleanse. Forgive and to cleanse. I thought we were already forgiven. Yeah. The truth is, in our relationship with God, are we forgiven? Acts 10.43, Acts 13, uh, 13.38 and uh, 10.43 both say that by faith in Jesus Christ you have forgiveness of sin. That's not about in your relationship. But in your fellowship, we need forgiveness because we sin. And when we sin, we get out of fellowship with God and we walk in darkness rather than light. And so we need fellowship. And so when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from... Oh, unrighteousness. Okay, I know that Susie, uh, let's pretend that right now she remembered, I'm just making this up, that she lied to me, okay? And we don't know, huh, do what? The, what did you say? It's probably the truth. It's probably the truth. Okay, let's just pretend that when Susie came in, she said something bad about Billy. Then she comes and that's sees, not that's not a lie. Okay, that's right. And then she comes in and she says something bad about me. 
And then she says, you know, that was wrong. I shouldn't have said that about JB. And she says, Lord, I, I, I should not have said that bad about JB. He is faithful and just to forgive us her, what, which, the one she just confessed. But what about Billy's? And cleanse her from all. And what is so great about our God is there are sins that we do that we don't even realize we do. And that sometimes we don't even remember them. We may do it and go, oh. And then we go on and we hadn't dealt with it. But when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all. That means even the ones you can't remember. He is so great. Susie, you got a break there, didn't you? Okay. That's right. And for all of us. For, so did Billy. So think about it. How many, how many sins have you possibly done today? How many have you remembered? Were there things that you did, you did you just, it, just went, it just went right past you. But then you thought, oh, Lord, that, that was wrong. I did. Oh. And you, I'm telling you, Lord, what happens? He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is so great. So how are you going to walk in the Spirit? You've got to do what? You gotta make sure you're in fellowship with God, and that means confess your sins, okay? You gotta do that. Number two is you gotta obey. Obey the scripture. Obey the word of God. Live by the scripture. Obey it. What is the what is the power to obey? Holy Spirit, yeah. So let me ask you something. If you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, whatever I've done wrong, I'll confess it right now, and I wanna obey your word as I think about it, are you walking in the spirit? Yes, it's not something that, that you can't figure out. He just says, live in my power. You, I'm the power in you. Live in me. If you got something wrong, deal with it. And live by the scripture. Obey the Bible. When a decision comes up, live by the scripture. When he says, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body, stop letting it. When he says, pray without ceasing, pray. When he says, walk worthy, walk worthy, obey the scripture. When we do that, we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, pretty impressive. Now, the thing is, what happens? What happens when we sin? Two things. Number one, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. When we do things, when we do things we know are wrong, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Okay, God the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and I'm going to lie about Susie. How does that make the Holy Spirit feel. He's grieved. He goes, don't do that. You know better than that, right? I mean, you're not talk we're not talking about something silly. We're talking about God inside of us. How does God inside of us feel? Remember, he's a person. When we sin, he's grieved. How do you feel? How did you feel when your kids did something you know was wrong? And, they, and you want to say, don't do that, Okay. How do you feel when you do something wrong? You go, why did I do that again for the eight, seven, eight, 850th time? You grieve, okay? We grieve the Holy Spirit. Second thing happens when we sin is we quench the Spirit. And quenching the Spirit means basically stopping Him from doing what He can do. And this is sins of omission when we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And so we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 is grieving. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is quenching the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, there's a lot there, but we've got to deal with that. So let me, let me take you this. It, it all comes down to the key. And that's in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. And we present ourselves to God. Remember we said a while ago, who makes the decision? 
we do. And what do we do? We just said, God, use me. I deal with my sin. I want to live by the Bible. I want to serve you. Take me and use me. I present my life to you. I present my body to you. By the way, when we get to Romans chapter 6, which is like two lessons from now, he's going to say, take the members of your body and present them to God. It's not some mystical thing. It's like, take this body and I present it to you, Lord, to be used by you. You can present your body to your flesh, and then you can send up a storm. Or you can present your body to the Spirit, and you can live righteously and godly. It's up to us. And that's why Romans 6.13 says, present yourself to God. We have choices. You know, it's one of these things with the old joke, with, uh, what was his name, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. The devil don't make us do it. The devil may influence the world, and the world may influence us, but we're, we're responsible for our sins. Huh? We choose it. We actually choose it. And I hate, let me tell you. Okay, let's, say, let's be honest. How many of us choose to sin? Do you hate it? We're going to get to Romans 7, you know, where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched person I am. Do you feel that way sometimes? So we're like Paul. I, I, feel okay. I feel okay if I'm like Paul. And I'd like to be a lot better. I'd like to be like real Paul, like Paul's really growing and doing everything. But the bottom line is, we're going to sometimes look at our lives and go, I am really a stinker. Right? Look, look at what I do. Right? It's because we're presenting ourselves to the flesh. But if we present ourselves to the Spirit, just righteousness. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So let's think about it. The Christian life is described this way, and this will, this will end us up tonight. Three ways. Number one, put it's a walk of faith. Uh, number two is based on the Word of God. And num huh? Based on the Word of God. Based. Based on the Word of God. And number three, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at number one. It is what? A... Walk of faith. What's the object of our faith? Jesus. That's for salvation. It could, be, it could be Christian life, but primarily, what, where do you look to to know what to believe? The Bible. That's the walk of faith. You take the truths of the Scripture. You live your life based on the Scripture. Now, Jesus is the living word, and the Bible is the written word. And so if you said, I look to Jesus, and the Bible does say, run the race of endurance looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, you could look at that. But the bottom line goes back that there's got to be a body of truth that we believe that we can live based on. So it's a walk of faith based on the word of God. You know, that's number two. The walk of faith, B, or number two, is based on the what? The word of God. Now, when you look at that, I got A, B, C, and D. And let me, I'm just going to, I'm going to give them to you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But A is the, the, when we think about the Bible, first of all, the Bible is truth. T-R-U-T-H. And just put John 17, 17 by there. It says, thy word is truth. The Bible's true. I was, I met with a, a girl today that she was, she's a student, a college student, and she's sharp as can be. And uh, she's been talking to some Mormons on campus. And they've been trying to tell her stuff, and she's been telling them the right stuff. And so she came to see me, and I got her a bunch of stuff, and she's going to meet with some of them tomorrow. But one of the things she knows, she knows she has the truth. They don't have the truth. They don't have truth. Uh, they change the information about Jesus. They change the information about the Bible, and they change the information about salvation. And they even told her that they said salvation is faith and works. You have to do both. 
And I told her, well, ask them, where, ask them who Jesus is. Because they say that they have the same Jesus. But if you read their literature, Jesus was born in Jerusalem. And he is the offspring of Adam God and Virgin Mary. That's Mormons. Adam God is Adam who became a God, had sex with Mary to produce Jesus. That's Mormon theology. I told her, you got the wrong Jesus, you got the wrong Bible, and you got the wrong salvation message. Because she has the truth. You have the truth. That's why you have to know the truth. Because when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. You can say, I know what's right. So the Bible's truth. B, it's alive. It's alive. And you can write Hebrews 4.12 by there. Hebrews 4, the live and powerful and sharpening two-edged sword. It goes right to the heart of the issue. Isn't it amazing? You can read the Bible and you go, oh, man, that hurts. <laughs> that just so right on. C, it accomplishes God's purpose. You can put that down. It accomplishes God's purpose. That's the verse that, that's the verse that Isaiah 55, 11 says, that God's word never comes back void. Let me ask you a question. Every one of us in this room are getting the same information tonight. We're all at different levels, different ways to look at things, different backgrounds, different understandings of the Scripture. So somebody could say, well, they can't all understand the same thing. They're not at the same place. Yeah, God's Word is alive and powerful and sharp and two-edged sword, and God's Word always accomplishes His purpose. His Word is going to touch you the way you need to be touched every time. That's why on a Sunday morning, that's Isaiah 55, 11, that's why on a Sunday morning I can stand up and do Matthew chapter 5 or chapter 6, and somebody could say, do all these people in this room need Matthew chapter 5? The answer is yes, because whatever's going to come out of Matthew chapter 5 is going to touch each life in the way that God has for them. That doesn't mean it's going to be different applications. <coughs> I mean different uh, interpretations, because the interpretation is always the same, but he's going to affect people. <clears throat> it's going to affect people in different ways. And that's what he does. Then we'll, let's see, we're in D, profitable. Profitable. <clears throat> 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scriptures are inspired by God and is profitable. It's for our best. It's for our well-being. That's why we should, should know it, figure it out, put it together. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that's a, it's a great passage. Now at the top of the next page, when we think about the Bible, since we just said how powerful the Bible is, that it's a walk of faith based on the Word of God, Second Timothy 2.15 tells us we need to study the Word. Study the Word. And Philippians 4.9 tells us to apply the Word. Let me ask you this question. Why do we study the Scripture? When I was at Dallas Seminary, Prof. Hendricks would come into the class, and he was my favorite teacher of all time, and he would say, Okay, men, that's how he talked, Okay, men, let's ask this question. Why do we study the Scripture? And people would go, So we could know it, and he'd go, Wrong. <laughs> he says, So you can apply it. The purpose of the study of the Scripture is to know it so we can apply it. it knowledge by itself does what? Puffs up. Not knowledge plus application equals wisdom. So we've we got to study it and we've got to apply it so that, that it, it makes a difference in our lives. Because I've known a lot of people who know a lot of Bible and they're so arrogant they can't do anything. 
right? You know people who are puffed up with knowledge. I mean, they are puffed up with knowledge about the Bible. I mean, there are people who are Bible scholars who aren't even Christians. And there are people who are Bible scholars who are Christians, but nobody wants to be around them. So we want to know it, but we want to know it so we can apply it. The last part, number three, is in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really the key of this lesson, and that's, this is what the Christian life is. A walk of faith based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's God in us. It's not our power. It's not our strength, because in ourselves we can do nothing, but in Christ we can all do all things. And so it's a walk of faith based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you some quick applications, some quick ideas. Number one is we must understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. We must understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. We already seen, first of all, his before salvation, he convicts the world. And at salvation, we see that he does those things. But after salvation, the main thing we've been thinking about is the power. The power of the Holy Spirit. So we can walk in the Spirit, we can be filled with the Spirit. Okay. Number two, we can live the Christian life only... In God's power. That's the only way we can make it. We can live the Christian life only in God's power. What happens if we live in our power? Huh? What happens if we live the Christian life in our power? If we end up being carnal and we end up being fleshly and we don't, if we don't produce anything, we're out of fellowship, we're walking in darkness, uh, we haven't dealt with sin, uh, and there'll be no rewards. Uh, that's, that sounds like a great life, doesn't it? I mean, it's terrible. So we can't live in the flesh. We have to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christian life can only be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, we're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit. We're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. That's the two words that he uses over and over and over. Walk in the Spirit, be filled in the Spirit. What does that really mean? There's just one word. Controlled. You've got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what being filled means. That means walking. Walking and being filled means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Number four is going to be very familiar. The Christian life is a walk of faith based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is a walk of faith. The Christian life is a walk of faith based on the Word of God. Based on the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And last but not least, number five, we must know and apply the Word of God in our lives.